Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Military Murder. I am so glad that you chose to join me again. I am your host, Margot, and in this true crime podcast, just a reminder, I cover cases with a military nexus. If there's a military connection and a murder, I'll cover it on this podcast. You don't have to know anything about the military to enjoy listening, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast, and if that's you, welcome home. Today, I am taking this podcast international to our neighbors to the north, Canada, because murder in the military happens everywhere, not just in the United States. The story you are about to hear will have you double checking your locks, your doors, your windows, everything. It'll even have you ordering a home security system by the time I am done. Do you remember that video that went viral back in 2010? And it was something like, hide your kids, hide your wife, hide your husbands too. Well... They could have made that video about the story I'm about to tell you. Today, I am going to tell you about a high-ranking, highly decorated Canadian pilot. This guy flew dignitaries such as Queen Elizabeth II, Prince Philip, and the Prime Minister of Canada before letting his urges get the best of him and committing the ultimate crime, murder. Join me today as I discuss the case against Colonel David Russell Williams of the Canadian Air Force. Now, let's dig in. Our story begins and mostly centers around the town of Tweed, Ontario. For those of you trying to picture this on a map, it is northwest of Syracuse, New York. And Tweed is a small community about 40 minutes north of Canadian Forces Base Trenton, CFB Trenton for short. CFB Trenton is a military base operated by the Royal Canadian Forces and is the hub for air transport operations in Canada. It's the largest Air Force base in Canada, so it's kind of a big deal. In this area in Tweed, from 2007 to 2009, an unusual amount of break-ins were taking place. And what was extremely odd was that the break-ins didn't result in theft of high-value items. So you're probably thinking this person or people are breaking in and they're stealing, I don't know, cell phones, money, jewelry, weapons, televisions. Do people still steal televisions? I don't know. That just seems kind of weird. But anyway, this person wasn't stealing those types of items. This thief was stealing women's underwear and other undergarments. And the crazy part is that roughly two thirds of these break-ins went undetected or unreported. And the even crazier part is that the perpetrator returned to the same houses sometimes two and three times. Now that is spooky to me. During the same time frame in the city of Orleans, for those of you who want a mental picture of where this is located, it's roughly two and a half hours northeast of Tweed. Orleans is about 12 miles northeast of Ottawa. Similar break-ins were also taking place here. In January of 2009, there was a family that just got back from vacation and their 15-year-old daughter, she went up to her bedroom and she came back down and she told her mom that all her underwear was missing. 
And her mom just kind of joked around and said, well, did you check the floor? Thinking that she was just being facetious. So the daughter goes back up to her room and she comes back and she's kind of like afraid. And she says, mom, not only are my underwear missing, but I have dresses that are missing and my bathing suits are missing too. So this family wasn't taking any chances and they immediately reported the break-in to the police and the underwear theft. Again, the police investigated, but they were stumped. Why would someone steal a teenager's underwears and their bathing suits? Was this a prank? Did she have a stalker in high school? You know, what was going on? And this went on for a few months, but it wasn't until after the break-ins took a deadly turn that the police would connect this break-in and dozens more to the same perpetrator. That July, the break-ins in Tweed appeared to increase in frequency. And at this point, there were 10 break-ins in two months. Again, many of them went undetected. So in September, however, the break-ins would take a more ominous turn. On September 17th, a mother was asleep near her baby in the living room. And at one in the morning, a masked intruder entered her house, bound her and blindfolded her. And then he undressed her and took pictures of the woman. But then he left around three in the morning. And it was weird because the victim then tells police officers that this man kept promising her that he wasn't going to hurt her or the baby. The very next day, the intruder enters the same home. But this time, the resident wouldn't be present. But they hadn't set up like a sting or anything like that because they didn't think anybody would be crazy enough to go back to the same house. Not too long after this first assault, though, a second assault occurred in the same neighborhood in Tweed. This time, though, the woman was asleep when the intruder hit her over the head with his flashlight. He forced her to undress and then he took pictures of her. This guy terrorized this woman for three hours. And then at one point, he felt sympathetic and he was apologizing and he even gave her aspirin to take. I guess it was for her headache from when he freaking bashed her on the head. But this time, though, once he left, the victim reported it and she thought that she recognized the intruder's voice, but she couldn't put her finger on it. After the second assault in the same neighborhood, the police officers, they thought something fishy was going on and they began to canvas this entire neighborhood. By this point, they said two victims in the same neighborhood, it must be the same assailant. And they knew they were looking for one perpetrator. During the canvas, the police, they're knocking door to door and they arrive at the door of Larry Jones and they begin to ask him a ton of questions. And then they ask him about his neighbor because they realize They've been around the neighborhood a few times and Larry Jones's neighbor hasn't been home any time. Larry tells the police that his neighbor is, is an Air Force colonel who was the wing commander of CFB Trenton. And the police officers just kind of laugh about it and they say, well, no need to interview that guy. And then they just continue their canvas. In the meantime, Larry is a vocal advocate about the safety in his neighborhood. And during one of his public statements, one of the victims recognizes his voice as the man who assaulted her. Of course, Larry is immediately a suspect. I mean, why would he not be a suspect? A victim recognizes his voice. Oddly enough, he lives in the community where two of the assaults took place. He seemed like the perfect suspect. And outside of the rising suspicions against Larry, the canvas brought about no other leads in the assault. After the two assaults in Tweed, the underwear theft stopped. But in November, in the nearby town of Belleville, and this is about 25 miles south of Tweed, a woman would be visited by the underwear thief 
except this time he was going to steal something different. This woman arrives home and she's there for a short period of time because she is going out that night. And when she's in her bedroom, she realizes that her nightstand drawers are wide open. And upon closer examination, she realizes that all of her sex toys were gone. She screamed and her friend rushed upstairs. She told him someone stole all of her sex toys. This sounded so absurd that the pals, they just kind of laughed about it and they had a fleeting thought about calling the police. But you know what? They decided against it because they didn't want to be laughed out of the police station. I mean, for goodness sake, can you imagine the 911 call? What is your emergency? Uh, someone stole all of my sex toys. The police would probably think it's a prank. But before she left the house, she checked all of the windows and all of the doors and she ensured everything was locked. What they didn't know was that they may not have been alone in the house that evening. The woman stayed out all night. For whatever reason, she decided not to come home that night, probably because she felt uneasy about the whole situation. I mean, I would. And she doesn't come home until the next morning. This next morning, she comes into her house. She goes up to her office to grab something. And right then and there, she sees an ominous note. Her computer had been turned on and on the computer screen in a Word document, it said, quote, go ahead, call the police. I want to show the judge your really big dildo, end quote. The woman was inconsolable. She was hysterical. Then she discovered that all her underwear were missing. At this point, she, she said, screw it, I'm calling the police. Can you imagine what this poor woman was feeling? She must have felt so vulnerable, to be honest. If this was me, I'd sell the house and move right away. This is just so terrifying. I mean, before she left, she's smoking and joking with her friend about calling the police and them laughing her out of the police station. And then she gets this note. So it kind of makes you wonder, was this person in the closet? Were they listening? Would she have been hurt if she was by herself? I mean, this is insanity. Now, this victim, she had been keeping track of the news. And she had seen that similar break-ins were occurring in Tweed. But she lived in Belleville, which was a completely different jurisdiction. And the police, they didn't tie this incident to the other break-ins. But the woman knew. She knew that they had to be connected. And I just want to point out that this is not an uncommon issue. When someone commits a crime in different jurisdictions, sometimes it takes months or even years for them to realize that they have a serial rapist, a serial thief, or even a serial killer among them. In the nearby town of Brighton, Ontario, which is about 45 miles southwest of Tweed. And I apologize that this is basically turning into a Canadian geography class today, but I think it's important to know how close these towns are to each other. On November 25th, the body of 37-year-old Corporal Marie France Como is discovered in her home. She died from asphyxiation. Marie France was in the military and she was stationed at CFB Trenton as a flight attendant. Her family and friends were devastated. Who would want to hurt such a lovely woman? Her family even received a letter of condolence from the CFP Trenton wing commander. The police investigated and it would not be until the perpetrator took one more life that the police would be able to tie the two murders to the same killer. On January 27, 2010 in Tweed, a police officer was on her nightly patrol when she noticed a suspicious car that seemed to be out of place in a field. So the police officer, she knocked on the nearby home's front door, but there was no answer. So the police officer left. And it is unclear to me if the officer investigated the car 
or if she took down the license plate number down, but all we know is that the police officer left without making any contact with the resident of the home. Hi everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. The following day, on January 28th, 27-year-old Jessica Lloyd is reported missing after not showing up to work that morning. When the police entered Jessica's house, it was weird. Her keys, her cell phone, and her car were still there. The only thing missing were her slippers. This smelled of foul play. Police immediately began to search for Jessica. And while the police are combing through the house, a concerned citizen stops by to inform the police that on the night of January 27th, as they were driving down the road, they noticed a suspicious car parked in a field a little bit away from the road. And the nearest house was that of Jessica Lloyd. Although the driver found it odd at the time, he didn't think anything of it. So the police were like, okay, thank you for the tip. We're going to investigate. Sure enough, the police go out to the field and they find that the snow that was there a few nights prior was preserved by the cold weather. And they discovered a distinct tire mark in the field. Now, the police also found a full footprint in the snow near the back of Jessica's house. And so now a manhunt officially begins. But who are they looking for? I mean, who would want to hurt Jessica? So the police decide to stop every single car that drove near Jessica's house while they're discreetly checking for tire prints because we are all true crime enthusiasts. And we know that when something bad happens, sometimes the perpetrator comes back to the scene of the crime. And on February 4th, they stop a Nissan Pathfinder driven by Colonel David Russell William, the CFB Trenton Wing Commander. I need to do a quick side note, some military education here. Military bases, they're usually like standalone towns, right? And each base has one person who oversees the entire base. And for the Air Force, that person is called a wing commander. It's equivalent to a mayor in a civilian town. 
So that is the role that Colonel Williams plays for CFB Trenton. Well, once the police stop him, they notice that the tires of Colonel Williams match those found in the field near Jessica's home. What? But there is no sign of Jessica. But police, they don't let on that they suspect that Williams is involved in her disappearance. In fact, they let him go. But they put a tail on him for the remainder of his time as a free man. So who is Colonel Williams? Let's talk about him for a little bit. Colonel Williams is 46 years old and he's a well-respected Air Force officer. He joined the Canadian Air Force in 1987. When he declared to his friends his intent to become a pilot, his friends were joking. They were like, yeah, dude, sure. You've watched way too much Top Gun. But you know, Colonel Williams wanted what he wanted and he actually got his pilot wings in 1990. He was a military transport pilot and in the mid 2000s, he flew dignitaries all around the world. So from all I was able to find, this was a smart, well-respected military man. And he was chosen to run the biggest air transport hub in Canada. I mean, he's kind of a big deal. Interestingly enough, he was also a man who lived in the Tweed Orleans area for most of the time since 2006 and 2007. So on July 15th, 2009, so we're backtracking here because we took a break when we're talking about Jessica's disappearance and it was January of 2010. So on July 15th, 2009, Colonel Williams is appointed as the wing commander at CFB Trenton. And this is the highlight of his career. While he's the wing commander, to a certain extent, he's the face of the Canadian Air Force. He was there to greet dignitaries. He participated in acquisitions meetings for the Air Force, and he made hundreds, hundreds of military public appearances. And although he had a house on base, he also owned a small cottage in the town of Tweed. Additionally, Colonel Williams was a married man. He and his wife married in 1991. She was a successful businesswoman. However, she lived and worked in Ottawa, which is a little bit of a hike away, maybe like almost three hours from CFB Trenton. So she had her own house up in Ottawa. Williams had three places to call home. He had his place on base, his cottage in Tweed, and his townhouse near Ottawa. Are you still tracking? And Colonel Williams, he visited his wife on weekends, and he usually just spent the week in Tweed. So most days, he was what people in the military like to call a geo-batch. And that stands for geographically separated bachelor. And I'm not a big fan of that term because it it just sounds so sketchy, right? You're married. You shouldn't be calling yourself a bachelor. But, you know, I know everyone will say that I'm overreacting. I just am not a big fan of that term. So on February 7th, 2010, Colonel Williams is brought in for questioning. And he thinks... He's coming into the police station to answer questions about his neighbor, Larry, because remember, Larry was a suspect in the two tweet assaults. But what Colonel Williams didn't know was that he would never return to his home or to the Canadian Air Force ever again. The interview at the police station begins about 3 p.m. And Colonel Williams is laughing, he's smiling, he's chewing gum. I mean, he's just having a grand old time. He quickly discovers that he suspected not only in the disappearance of Jessica, but the murder of Marie France and the two break-ins where the women were present, they were stripped, and then he took pictures of them. Initially, he denied any connection whatsoever. Who, me? No way! But within hours, he's confronted. And here is a clip of the interrogation, and this is the point where he knows for sure he's busted. 
This is a photocopy of the boot that uh, you took off your foot yeah. just a little while ago. Okay. Now, I'm not an expert in footwear impressions, so I rely on the experts. Footwear impressions are very much like uh, like fingerprint comparisons. Okay. You take a look at this print, and again, this is one print. This person walked through there's several different prints to compare mm -hmm. so we're going to get features off of one print to compare features off another print to compare yeah. these are identical your vehicle drove up the side of jessica lloyd's house your boots walked to the back of jessica lloyd's house on the evening of the 28th and 29th of january okay. you want discretion we need to have some honesty Okay, because this is this is getting out of control really fast, Russell. Okay, really, really fast. Hmm. This is getting beyond my control. Right? I came in here a few hours ago and I called you the way I called you today because I wanted to give you the benefit of the doubt. Hmm. But you and I both know you were at Jessica Lloyd's house and I need to know why. Well, you need to explain it because this is the other problem we're having, Russell. Okay. Again, these decisions are made by me. Mm -hmm. Right now, there's a search warrant being executed at your residence in Ottawa. Okay. So your wife now knows what's going on. There's a search warrant being executed at the, your residence in Tweed, and your vehicle's been seized. Okay. You and I both know they're going to find evidence that links you to these situations. You and I both know that the unknown offender, male, male on Marie France Como's body, is going to be matched to you quite possibly before the evening's over. At the end of this, his only request was that he minimize the impact of his actions on his wife. Now, I'm going to be completely honest here. When I began watching the interrogation, which is available on YouTube, and I am going to post to my website so you can link from there. Uh, when, when I saw the investigator who was sitting with Williams, I almost fell out of my chair. The detective's name is Detective Sergeant Jim Smith, and he worked for the Ontario Provincial Police as a behavioral specialist. And so when you're first looking at the interview, Detective Smith, he looks like timid and he's He's not much of a bully. I mean, he's just like, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but he doesn't look like what you mentally expect from a seasoned detective. I don't know. Maybe I watched way too much Mindhunter, but he doesn't look like that kind of bulldog that you expect someone who doesn't take crap. You know, Detective Smith, he looks like he's wearing somewhat of an oversized suit and he acts like he's investigating a stolen pack of gum. But man, this guy is a savage. His quiet demeanor, it really allows Williams to let down his guard. And what we discover throughout the 10-hour interview gave me nightmares for weeks and to this day has me double-checking my security cameras, my doors, and even my windows. What we learn from his confession is the following. Williams never says why he chose Marie France Como as a victim. Although I can deduce that when he flew with her that one time, Maybe he discovered that she lived alone and then he looked up her personnel records and found where she lived. This guy is so freaking crazy, but I just can't get over how he would abuse his position as a wing commander to target one of his own military members. He enters her house one day when he knows she isn't going to be home because he's checked her flying schedule. 
and he's canvassing the place. Basically, he wants to know if a man lives there. He's looking for any sign of a man. Men's clothing, men's deodorant, a toothbrush, a, a man's computer, anything. And when he looks, he doesn't find anything. So on the day of the murder, he parks a few hundred yards away from her house and he walks through the woods to arrive at her house and he enters through a basement window. He hides in the basement for about 40 minutes waiting for her to go to sleep, but she's up in her bedroom. So he's all the way down in the basement and then there is like a main level floor and then there's a second floor. So he's hiding in the basement and she's all the way in her bedroom on the top level and he can hear that she's talking on the phone. He's waiting for her to go to sleep so he can attack her. But before she goes to sleep, she's looking for her cat. And she's like, Kitty, where are you? Come up. And she realizes that the cat is downstairs in the basement. So she follows downstairs and she realizes that the cat has that weird stare. You know when cats look into the distance and their eyes get real wide and creepy and, and you're like, Kitty, you're freaking me out. Well, the cat has that look. So Marie France goes to investigate and she follows the cat's gaze into the vast darkness of the basement. And she discovers Williams hiding behind the furnace and his face is covered with a stocking. What the heck? Is this the creepiest thing that you can imagine? I think this part right here is what gave me nightmares. It's terrifying. And I'm going to tell you why. I watched the video that the prosecutors used at his trial dictating all of the evidence and this video includes photos of the entire crime scene. And I'm going to link this video from my website. And the video doesn't include any pictures of the victim. It just includes pictures of the scene. And for me, seeing the furnace and the stairs and just imagining this poor woman seeing him. And she's she's terrorized. She's by herself. I mean, I seriously couldn't sleep at night after watching this. So watchers beware. So Williams describes that Marie France begins to scream. I mean, she's attempting to escape. She's fighting for her life. And that is when he subdues her. He ties her to a pole in the basement and then he tapes her mouth. And this right here is what is even more crazier. After he subdues her, he goes outside nonchalantly to put the screen and the window back together because he doesn't want people to know how he entered the house. Now, if this is not completely psychotic, I don't know what is. Once Williams returns back to Marie France, he knocks her out and then he drags her unconscious body up the stairs to her bedroom. And that is where he rapes her. He thinks that she's still unconscious after the rape and he begins to get paranoid and he goes to the front window to check if anybody's coming. While he's out of the bedroom, Marie France wakes up. She closes the bedroom door and she attempts to lock herself in her bathroom. And she's trying to get out. She's trying to get help, but her hands are bound and her mouth is taped. And Williams, at this point, he realizes that she's up and he barges into the bathroom and a, and a scuffle ensues. And then he throws her down to the ground and he tapes her nose and holds it down until she stops breathing. The crazy, crazy part right here is that Williams then, after he murders Marie France, I mean, his own airman, he then proceeds to an important Air Force acquisition meeting later that morning. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. 
June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. Williams then began to talk about the abduction of Jessica. He said a few days before he abducted her, he was driving around the neighborhood when he saw her running on her treadmill. Now, come on, guys, in her basement and he's just driving by in his car. I mean, I think at this point, he's probably a peeping Tom, right? So he's out canvassing. And that's I don't know. That's what I think. But he notices her and he takes note of where she lives. He comes back to canvas the place. And we talked about this before. He's looking for any sign of a man. And he is just such a freaking coward because he wants to focus on women who live alone because they're vulnerable. And, he, and this guy, he's such a punk. He doesn't want a confrontation with a man. On the day that he canvasses Jessica's house, he's looking around and he even steals some of her underwear. The following day, he parks in a field near her house and he walks to the rear of Jessica's house to wait for her. And he's outside in her backyard in the dark until she comes home. And now I'm going to play a small clip of Williams's interrogation. No, I think somebody had come home, somebody had come to the house just before she did. Because I thought it was her that they left. I was outside at the time. Did you see who that person was or what kind of vehicle they were in or anything? So I assumed it was her and then all of a sudden they left side of the Where were you when that first vehicle pulled up? In the back. Oh my God, as I was listening to this confession, I couldn't believe my ears. He was hiding in Jessica's backyard when that police officer, when she recognized that that vehicle looked at a, at a place that it was suspicious. And then she knocked on the door wondering like, hey, who, what is this suspicious truck parked in the field? And I just, I just can't right now with this case. What drives me insane is that it is possible that either the police officer or the truck driver could have saved Jessica. I mean, maybe the police officer should have left a note on her door and then maybe when Jessica gets home, she calls the police. The police say, hey, there, there was a suspicious car parked there. And maybe Jessica realizes, hey, that suspicious car is still here. Maybe somebody comes out and maybe Jessica is freaking spared her life. So this brings me to my true crime army rules. Now, <laughs> I just want to tell a funny story. My original rule was going to be if you see something say something but I did a quick google search because I was like where did I hear that from it was like an anti-terrorism training that I was forced to sit through once upon a time can you believe that if you see something say something is a registered trademark and guess who owns the trademark 
the Department of Homeland Security. And I was like, what? You can't trade. You can't trademark if you see something, say something. I mean, it's like common sense. Anyway, they did trademark it. And apparently it's only to be used for anti-terrorism training and not crimes. Although I do think it's a good rule, I don't want to be sued in the future, so I chose something different. So it might not sound as good, but it is a rule that we should learn to live by. Ready? True Crime Army Rule. Drum roll, please. Speak up. You could save a life. Now, how different could life have been if the police officer would have called for backup to investigate? How different could it have been if the truck driver would have called in the suspicious vehicle or taken down the license plate number? I mean, let's just put this rule in our back pocket because this list will continue to grow. And this particular rule will be used time and time again. I promise. After Jessica arrives home, she text messages her friend that she's home safely. You know that thing where you're like, hey, text me when you get home. And she sends a text message, hey, I made it home safely. And then she goes to sleep. And so Williams waits around until she's asleep and then he enters her house through the back patio door. He sneaks up to her bed and then she wakes up before he does anything and he tells her to obey his command and she won't get hurt. He then binds her hands and then he proceeds to undress her and this freaking filthy man then rapes her and he takes various pictures of her and he's there at the house terrorizing Jessica for three hours. But he doesn't want to just leave her there. He takes her to his house in Tweed. He forces her to take a shower and then he lets her sleep for a few hours. In the meantime, he calls out of work sick. But strangely, he asks his co-workers not to tell his wife. And when I heard this, I was like, what the heck? You are a freaking wing commander. Does no one that you work with think it's weird that you're telling them you're calling out sick, but don't tell my wife? There's a whole bunch of other problems going on with you, but I thought that this was really odd. So when Jessica wakes up, he tells her that he's going to eventually let her go. But instead, he strikes her in the back of the head as she's walking and then he strangles her. He then leaves her lifeless body in the garage for 48 hours. And the following morning, he flies on an Air Force mission to California. And upon his return, he disposes of Jessica in Larry's favorite hunting location, which is only 13 minutes from where he lived. Freaking Williams is insane. At this point, he is trying to set up his poor neighbor, Larry Jones. Mind you, Larry Jones has been cleared of all of the crimes committed, and I just wanted to put that out there. During the interrogation, Williams finally points police to Jessica's location. During the interrogation, Detective Smith asks Williams, why two of his victims lived and two of them died. And I'm going to let Colonel Williams answer that himself. The attention the first two got was very much fo focused on, for obvious reasons, uh, pictures I took. So anybody else telling stories about pictures, I put it in front of the street line. Finally, Williams answers questions we probably all have on our minds. How do you feel about what you've done? Disappointed. Let me ask you this. If it didn't come to the point it's at right now, for whatever reason you didn't end up on our on our radar, so to speak, do you think it would have happened again? I was hoping not. I can't ask much. 
A sweep of Colonel Williams's two off-base homes would reveal that the man who committed all of these offenses was a meticulous documentarian. He kept notes of every single item he ever stole, as well as all of the locations of which he broke into, which is why I had all that information earlier in the episode. Even though it went undetected, he kept notes of it. He also kept notes of the newspaper articles written about his crimes, and the police officers they found pictures and videos of the victims he killed and the victims he assaulted. I mean, this guy is just sick. They also discovered pictures of Williams wearing the stolen lingerie, and he ended up confessing to 82 break-ins and thefts, as well as masturbating in the beds of the homes in which he broke into. Interestingly, all of the break-ins occurred within walking distance of his homes, both in Tweed and in Ottawa. So this guy is under their nose the entire time. And the sad part was that many of his victims didn't even realize they had been victimized. And in fact, they wouldn't even have thought twice because he was a colonel in the Air Force. Of the 82 break-ins, 61 of them either went undetected or unreported. And the break-ins, they were occurring from September of 2007 to November of 2009. The most interesting thing about this case is how Williams could so easily transition from commanding officer to burglar, neighborhood creeper, and then ultimately murderer. In September of 2009, following Williams' return trip to the Arctic, he committed his first attack on that young mother who was by her baby. And a few hours after that crime, he was seen on base presiding over a Guinness Book of World Record event. Can you believe this guy? After he killed Marie France, he drove three hours to attend an aircraft procurement meeting. The saddest evidence is that after the murder of Marie France, Williams wrote a letter to her grieving family, and the letter read, quote, I would like to take this opportunity on behalf of the men and women of 8 Trenton to express my sincere condolences on the tragic death of your daughter. Marie France was a professional, caring, and compassionate woman who earned the respect of all with whom she came into contact. She set high standards for herself and others, and she was devoted to the well-being of those around her. Marie France made a lasting impact in Trenton and will be sorely missed by her friends. Please let me know whether there is anything I can do to help you during this very difficult time. You and your family are in our thoughts and prayers. With our deepest sympathy, Colonel D.R. Williams, Wing Commander, end quote. The discovery of Williams's crimes, they were like a giant blow to the military community of CFB Trenton and the entire Canadian Air Force. Lieutenant General Watts, this was the guy who appointed Williams to command CFB Trenton. He ends up saying about Williams that he picked him because he was, quote, good with people, good with the administration, good with the media, and good with the public, end quote. But this guy, he committed the ultimate betrayal to the profession of arms. Williams was immediately relieved from command of the CFB Trenton, and he was charged with two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of forcible confinement, 82 counts of breaking and entering, and two counts of sexual assault. And then, as if not wanting to face his day in court... In April, while in prison awaiting trial, Williams attempted to commit suicide by shoving a toilet paper roll down his throat. He then later went on a hunger strike. Now, if I could insert audio emojis right now, I would insert a shaking fist emoji because this guy just really pisses me off. 
On October 18, 2010, only seven months after his confession, this guy pleads guilty to all of the charges against him. And just a side note, during the investigation, his child pornography stash is found, but as a condition of his plea deal, these charges were never added to the charge sheet. And this just makes the facts in this case just sicker than they currently are. And another note, his charge sheet was so extensive that the Globe and Mail, they reported that it took the court clerk 34 minutes to read Williams's crime into the record. Wow. On October 21st, he was sentenced to two life sentences for first-degree murder, two 10-year sentences for sexual assault, two 10-year sentences for forcible confinement, and 82 one-year sentences for breaking and entering. And this is all to be served concurrently, which basically means at the same time. But if you think that this means he'll be in jail forever, you are sadly mistaken because he will be eligible for parole after serving just 25 years. I just can't believe the justice system sometimes. So something interesting that happened after the case. After Williams' sentence, he is stripped of his commission, his rank, and all military awards. His severance pay was terminated, but he still receives $60,000 in yearly pension. And after his conviction, his uniform was burned, his medals were destroyed, and his vehicle was crushed and scrapped. And can I just add something here? I just want to say, good on you, Canada. We don't do that here in the U.S., but hands clapping emoji to you. While researching this case, I wanted to find more information about Williams, like were there any clues? Could anyone have known? Did his wife have a clue? And there is very little information out there since people who knew him before the Air Force, they really don't want to talk to the media. His ex-girlfriends have refused to talk. And of course, his wife has said nothing. What we do know is that he has a younger brother. His parents divorced when he was six years old, but he seemed to get along great with his stepfather. His parents did seem to be away a lot and he was often left at boarding schools. At one boarding school, it has been said that he was the victim of bullying when he was locked in his room by his classmates. And the only way that he was able to get out was by tying sheets together and climbing out the window. Now, this is definitely ingenious because I thought that that was fake. I've seen that in like cartoons, but I didn't realize that was like a, a real thing. I'm still unsure if it's a real thing, but. In college, William seems to be like the in-charge kind. He makes lists and everybody who's his roommate has to share in accomplishing the tasks of the house. He's basically the house mom and some even call him the drill sergeant. And this isn't really surprising because he did obtain a pretty high rank in the military. But it seems that he had a pretty bad college breakup. And at this point, he kind of withdraws from others and he doesn't date again for a long time. And I just wanted to point this out because I thought this was crazy. He did have a strange tendency, and I think this is something that he was perfecting in his younger years that helped him commit his later crimes. When he was in college, he was known as a prankster, and his prankster ability was that he was able to pick locks, and he was able to break into his friends' rooms and hide for hours, only to jump out and scare the crap out of his friends. And his friends, for whatever reason, seemed to always have a good laugh about it, but this is just freaking creepy. I mean, me personally, I hate the game of hide and seek. I swear, since I was a little girl, I would be myself just a little bit, just hiding for a minute. I know that's TMI, TMI, but really, I hate the game of hide and seek. And this guy was just, he was seriously perfecting. I mean, he freaking sat and waited in Marie France's basement for 40 minutes. 
Psychiatrists call Williams a paraphilic, which is a sexual deviant. And he may even be egodystonic. And this is someone who finds his own impulses distressing and unacceptable. So what happens with these people is that they result in nonviolent ways to satisfy their urges before finally turning to violence. And this does seem like what happened to him, but I'm not a medical person, so I don't I don't know. Williams and his wife never had kids, although they did have a cat that appeared to live close to 18 years. Now, that cat died in 2008, and apparently all those interviewed mentioned that Williams took the death of his cat pretty badly. And I haven't watched the entire 10-hour interrogation, but I read somewhere that Williams mentions the death of his cat a few times during his interrogation. And I'm like, listen, I get animal people, but really, Williams, no one cares about your dang cat. You killed two innocent women and you are just plain psycho. And I just want to close the loop on some of the victims. After his conviction, his victims sued Colonel Williams and his wife. And some victims even sued the province of Ontario. In 2014, an out-of-court settlement was reached with most victims. And it does appear that a settlement was reached in 2016 with one of the sex assault victims after she sued for $7 million. But the settlement, of course, is sealed and I wasn't able to find that number. Maybe they're taking it out of his like $60,000 pension since he's not going to need that anytime soon. The Williams case has been a very popular one for true crime fanatics. There's a Lifetime movie called An Officer and a Murderer. I haven't watched that. There is a Canadian investigative news program called The Fifth Element, and they release an episode, and that's good. That's available on YouTube. There's a 48 Hours episode, Dateline NBC, and I Survived. These have all featured documentaries on Williams, and there's also a ton of books. My main source, however, for most of this episode came from The Fifth Estate episode and Williams' own confession. Of course, there is always more that I could have covered. But if you are interested in hearing more about this case, I'm going to recommend the podcast True Crime Brewery, episode 99. Husband and wife team Jill and Dick, they dig way deep into Williams's childhood and college years. So if you want a deep dive into his family, you should listen there. So just a trivia note, because Williams only killed two people, he is not considered a serial killer because in order to be a serial killer, your death count has to be three or more. But I'm like, whatever. This case should still go down with all the serial killers because this is straight up creepy. So True Crime Army, what do you think about this guy? I mean, do you think there were early signs that Williams had it in him? Do you think that there was anything that could have been done to stop him from committing the murders? And... Do you think that he committed crimes before the issues in 2007 arose and he was just never caught? I want to hear from you. So let me know on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast or by email at militarymurderpodcast at gmail.com. If you liked my retelling of this crazy true crime, please stop and give the show a five-star rating. This will really help others find the podcast. And don't forget to also review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast. This is a one-woman show, guys, created and produced by me, Margot. All of the music was created by TyOps. To find a list of all of the sources I pieced together to bring you this story, I encourage you to go to www.militarymurderpodcast.com to check out all the links, especially if you want to see his confession. Additionally, you can also go on the website to suggest a case. Remember, there must be a military connection. 
Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. Shh, let's work another podcast.